We'd like to thank the John and Thurza Davenport Foundation for supporting the Creative Exchange. This episode is dedicated to the following business patrons who continue to stand with the arts through challenging times. Cape Cod Package Store, Clancy and Castano, La Mer Concierge, Narrowland, The Turn Foundation, Clean Green, and Nove. Hi, I'm Emma from the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. A few things have changed since last season, mainly a global pandemic. So we felt it was important to document the impact this event has had on artists from Cape Cod and beyond. Each of these conversations were recorded from a distance over Zoom. As such, you may hear a few imperfections in the audio. We hope these conversations comfort, inspire, and remind you that we're in this together. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. And today we're speaking with Boston ballet dancer, Patrick Palkins. Welcome. And Patrick was born in Boston and began dancing at the age of four and has since trained with Pacific Northwest Ballet, Ballet Chicago, Orlando Ballet, and Cincinnati Ballet. In 2017, he returned to Massachusetts, joining Boston Ballet and was promoted to soloist in 2018. Throughout his career, Palkins has spent time abroad dancing with the Salzburg Ballet in Austria and competing internationally in Beijing, China. So welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Uh, thanks for having me. So Patrick, we're really excited to include you in the series this year uh, or this season. We've never had uh, dance represented in these discussions. So it's very exciting. And I, and I do have to share one quick thing. When I was a kid, the Boston Ballet was my first introduction. I often, when I, when I talk about my connection with arts and culture, Boston Ballet was the first thing that I was exposed to as a, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade and I had a teacher bring me to a field trip. I was new and I remember walking through the doors of the theater and the smell and the sounds and the ballet slippers sliding across the stage. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember being in the bus on the way home and thinking, that was for me. This, it, it, and it's such a, you know, kind of deep cultural experience to watch people who are trained like you since you were four uh, to do this production for for me, you know, I was like this fifth grader watching this and just completely blown away. So I want to ask you, what was it like growing up as a, as a ballet dancer? Can you share a little bit about your upbringing? Absolutely. So it's funny you say that the Boston Ballet was your first experience with ballet because um, I don't remember it, but it was mine as well. I was really, really little. I was uh, between three and four years old and it was the last part of the my last chunk in Boston before um, my family moved and my mom spent a good amount of money to take all four of us I was very little to, to go see the Nutcracker and it was the same I, I don't remember it I was a baby baby but uh, it, it was exactly the same kind of experience so for me growing up as a dancer was rewarding and difficult so background for me my mom is a dancer so this is where for all of us where dance had come from. I'm the youngest of 
four. And so we really, everybody danced and there wasn't really a, a question of that. Do you want to or not? Like mom owned a studio, so you're going to dance. And, and so dance was a family thing, although no ballet. She had a very little, small experience with, with ballet that um, I think for her was even a little traumatic. She's from Montana. She came from a small town. And I danced as well as played sports for my entire childhood. I was a soccer player. I ran track. I played tennis. I played basketball. And I didn't really, wasn't really exposed to ballet. Um, I was 13. I went to a summer program once. I spent a week and studied and I, I was a nightmare because ballet is so overwhelming or it can be when you don't have a background in it and they, they don't start you from little. And, and I didn't do it again from 13. I, I stopped. I never touched it. Kept dancing. And, and then didn't do it again until I was 16 in high school. And I had an old partner I used to dance with take me to her new ballet school. And I'm a, I was a guy. So you have this weird twofold thing when you're a young man growing up as a dancer and as especially about ballet dancer where you're so rare for a lot of places. I think Cape Cod kind of can have, uh, can understand this in the sense that it's a small market for some of the dance, for some of the art forms, like you said, there's no ballet school. There's no, no place that performs ballet on the Cape. Where I grew up in Montana, same thing. It was a very tiny place. And boys were like, you, you have a boy at your studio? Like, oh man, we knew, you know, we knew studios that we would compete against that never had boys. They, they only had, they couldn't even get one. And so my mom having two, me and my older brother already kind of put her ahead of that kind of race of like trying to get guys interested in dance. They want you there. They'll do anything for you to be there. I, you know, I got scholarships, I, all of these things. And then the flip side of that coin is that outside of that studio, you're this thing that people, people don't understand, especially in a place like Montana, a rural area like Montana. They're like, what, what, what do boys do in dance? And we don't get it. You know, we don't get it. And there's, the, there's teasing and there's bullying that comes along with it. And so it's this weird two-sided thing where you're you're this rare thing in one and then as soon as you step outside of that world that culture you're misunderstood you know and kind of sometimes it's really set apart from everybody so it's a little bit of a strange back and forth it's just a balancing act that we we both did my older brother and I did growing up I went to ballet school and was like this is hard it's incredibly hard it was the most difficult of the art forms of dance that I had studied at that point in time which was and almost all of them and it, the sort of recreational American sense. And I was like, you know, I think this is, this is hard and, and therefore the most rewarding. So I struggled with that and found that, all right, this, this is going to be the most rewarding thing. I'll commit myself to that. And I also, I really like, I like dancing because I get to travel. It's, it's the international aspect of it to me. That was really great. I went to, uh, I went to ballet school in, in Santiago, Chile in South America that for like four months I should have been there for two years. It would have been great had I stayed, but I went down there and was like, well, this is opens a whole new world to me. So for me, that was the, the doors that were open for ballet were that on that scale. And that was what was interesting. How do you balance this intense training and then make it so beautiful and look effortless? It's just, you know, Watching ballet is just so awe-inspiring. So how do you balance those two worlds? I think the, that that balance is, I, it's always been so hard when you think about what's really, really difficult to do physically, athletically. Yes, yeah, something that's really fast and that's kind of lightning quick and very, it, that's difficult to do. 
But I'll tell you right now, take any ballet, any of it, do it slower, it becomes harder. And that's ballet. So in this, like, in this sense of how do we balance that athleticism with the grace, it's that if you train the way that ballet dancers train, your strength is built in the fact that you do things slow and deliberately. And each time you, cause we start at the bar and you start with morning plies and they're not rushed. They're not fast. You drop, you, you control your muscles down, you control your muscles up and you hold them at the end. And this over years and time builds that strength. So the athleticism, actually I would say the athleticism comes from the grace because the grace you're talking about, that elegance you're talking about, it may look elegant and graceful, to do and to do slowly requires control and control builds strength. And in strength, we find that dynamic. And that's why when we start ballet small and we go through the progressions that are bar and then from the center of the progressions to Grand Allegro, it's designed with a, 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 a building block sort of scale in mind so that from the bottom, your strength is being built in your small movements and that strength carries to the very end of your class, the very height of classical athleticism. It, it's, it's found from the beginning. The other thing I don't have is much discipline. So like, I just could, it's not, ballet is not for, for me to pursue. <laughs> Cause I'm not incredibly disciplined either. I love when people say that they say, well, you, oh, ballet requires such discipline. And I've never thought of myself as a disciplined person, but maybe a little passionate, maybe a little obsessive. And that's maybe how we made up for it. Tell us more about that. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a mom thing. It's my mom. You know, it is, it's mom. She was, a. I can't say was, she is, she still is. She still teaches. She's, she turned 71 in, gosh, we're past Thanksgiving. She's turned 71 already. Yeah. And she still teaches. She still runs her studio. She will probably dance into the grave it's, it's dark, a bit of dark humor but i think that's where she's gonna go she's danced all her life and she's never gonna take a break and we had that as kids you know we had that you just you kept going you kept you were always in it and and i'll tell you i didn't always like it i hated that i wanted to quit and i always made bargains with her if i get this my grades at this point in this semester i can stop dancing if i learn to do this i can stop dancing ironically i never did any of those things i didn't even hold up my end you know, it wasn't like she kept me from leaving. It was that I never came around to the wanting to leave bad enough to actually fulfill my end of the bargain because there's still a lot of joy in what we did. And I think for me, that has always carried. I've always kept that. My joy in dance is not in the audience, in pleasing others. I, I love that it pleases others, but my joy in dance is the physical sensation. I enjoy the feeling, like I really like pirouettes. If you look through my Instagram, there's just a bunch of videos of me probably doing the same five pirouettes, but I like them because I enjoy the feeling of control and how I feel powerful in that I can be so controlled. There is power there for me, just through fear, pure physical sensation. That's where I find joy in doing it. I, I like to mess. I like to test the boundaries of it. Yeah. How high can I jump? Can I do it this fast? Can I still fit it in the music? Can I play with that boundary enough and have fun? Having fun with that enough makes me happy. I look a little silly some days in the studio because I'll laugh at myself 
I'll, I'll do a really good turn and it'll feel really good because I felt like I had this control. It'll feel really good. And it'll like, I'll laugh. Like I'll make, I'll giggle because it feels good. <laughs> Just feels good. I, I have to ask this question. What was it like? And, and I want to get into, you know, current times, obviously with you, but what was it like trying out for the Boston Ballet? What's the back story on that? What's it like? It, uh... It's really intimidating, very intimidating. Um, so as you can see in my bio, and if you get a chance to ever look at my resume, each company I have danced for uh, in succession has been bigger than the last one. Because I started so late, I started at 16, I was so behind. I didn't go to a School of American Ballet. I didn't go to ABT, I didn't have that. And I didn't go to Boston Ballet. I, I, I lived here and I was here as a child. and never took a class at Boston Ballet. So that was really, really, I was behind the eight ball for a while. And so coming, I actually auditioned for Boston Ballet several times. I was in or working for Orlando Ballet and I auditioned when I was 21 and got cut after bar. I didn't even make it through a full class. And I, 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 was, I was a little devastated. That was really sad. But I had done another one other audition that year and it was Cincinnati Ballet. And I, I ended up there for a long time. And so after that, I'd come back to Cincinnati and I had tried again. I tried again to get an audition and one year they just weren't hiring. They just said, we don't have space. I didn't even go. They just, I, I was able to speak with someone and they were like, we don't have space. And I tried again the next year. And even then it was really scary. And I had a really bad class. I thought I danced really poorly. And I, I had to sort of, if you've ever left a company, you know, you can't always be forthcoming with the fact that you're leaving. Sometimes you have to kind of hide a little and so I was very nervous that someone would find out and I would get in trouble. And so it was, a, it was a very nerve wracking, you know, stressful experience, although made better and made easier by our artistic director, by Miko Nisanen, with the way he conducts talking to you after an audition. It can be very stressful and Boston Ballet has a reputation and is very upright and does things by the book. But Miko has a, a, a really kind of wonderful quality of when he speaks to you kind of removing some of the pomp and circumstance and can kind of talk to you like a, like a person to person sort of discussion, or it feels like that, especially when you're new and we got along pretty quickly. So that helped alleviate a lot of the stress I was feeling after that I, third attempt to join the company. So yeah, it was quite a, quite a stressful ordeal. Tell us about, you know, so March, is it Friday, the fifth, wasn't it like Friday, March 13th? Yeah, like the 12th or 13th, I think. Yeah. yeah. I remember being here at the Arts Foundation and we're talking about virus kind of closing in on us. And obviously all of the arts are affected by pandemic. It's been pretty devastating to kind of watch over the several months things unravel. So what was it like? What did you have kind of on deck planned for your for yourself on March 12th and then <laughs> what happened on March 13th, uh, yeah, 12th and then what happened on the 13th? So I actually had the unfortunate yet somehow lucky circumstance that I was actually hurt. I was injured. I had come through Nutcracker. I actually had a really difficult year, even the beginning of the season. I had injuries kind of pile up for the first time for me. I've been relatively lucky in the injury department over my career Last year, they, they piled up. I had a foot injury. I had an inner thigh injury. I had knee stuff. I was out for a lot more performances than I was in. And I made it through Nutcracker, but just barely. 
And during Nutcracker, I had developed a really aggravated a disc in my lower back between L5 and S1 and actually ended up having a bulging disc, having the, the disc bulge out to the right and press on my sciatic nerve. So January, I was out. February, I was out. I was making my climb back into the company. And actually, the day before they shut everything down, I was in conversations with Miko and um, uh, as well a ballet master, um, Russell Kaiser, about whether or not I could perform Carmen, which would open the following week. Could I be in that show? You know, would it, would my back handle it? You know, we had bounced back and forth. I'd come back and kind of regressed. And so now we're on this coming back again. And the conversation the day before was, can we do it? Will you survive it? Would it be worse for you to, to dance now? Or should we put, you put it off for one more production and maybe you'll come back for the end of the year? And the, the, the conversation boiled down to, we don't think so. We, it's not safe for you. We worry it's going to re-aggravate it really fast. And, and you're going to be spending more time out. So the day right before everything was shut down was, was a difficult day because it felt like another setback. Like, ah, which is ironic because the next setback was going to be a lot bigger. And so I, I was thinking, I'm going to be out for this. I'll just keep going to my therapy. So the next day, when everyone actually went to work, I actually went to a spine therapy out uh, spine therapy center that I had been seeing to rehab my back. I went out for an appointment and did a very normal amount of my physical therapy and then went home to hang out, you know, watch the news and, and see what was, was going on. And then I get this, you know, the long couple of emails that are like Boston ballet canceled um, it's Carmen programs, the two weeks really quickly. And we just thought like the dancers were told two weeks off, take that. We're going to come back and we're going to renegotiate things. We'll figure out how to get those performances in later. We'll postpone them. And we just thought, okay, we have two weeks off in two weeks. This whole thing will blow over or boil down and we'll have something to go on after that. Well, you know, two weeks turned into, turned into a month and then turned into seven really fast. Um, so I was on the road back. I was on the mend. And then I had all this extra time to heal my back, which was good. But then I also had all this extra time to get out of shape. So that was a tough day. It was a tough day. And then a lot of waiting because we, we got all this information in increments, how much they were canceling of the season. Um, and, and it was, it was tough to kind of keep having these meetings that were you know, okay, here's the day we're going to make a decision on what happens next. And you kind of have this anxiety up to the meeting and then the meeting comes and they, you know, more bad news and more bad news. We did that for a little while. It was, it was pretty disheartening actually. How do you, or have you stayed in shape? Have you been able to do some training? It doesn't sort of seem like where people are doing online online classes like that, that isn't an option for you. So um, have you been able to, to train at all? Yes and no. It was really difficult as a dancer who's very used to going to the studio. You know, you've got to go and just not being allowed to leave the house. And I was in a really small apartment. My girlfriend, Caroline, dubbed them um, my, my prison workouts because, you know, I had to get really weirdly creative to try and stay in shape. I, we were in a 420 square foot apartment. It was really just tiny on Commonwealth. And so I was doing all of these wild exercises. I was using our ottoman. I was using our couch. I was trying all of these things to attempt to stay in shape and not even just ballet shape, just almost physical, just normal shape was really hard to maintain for a long time. And yeah, they were handing out 
panels of Marley um, for people to put in their houses and kitchens to do ballet class. I broke several glasses using our counter as um, a bar to like dance, like B-A-R-E, like to dance on. And that was really hard. So for a while I had kind of given up. I do a lot of floor bar. So that helped having a floor bar routine that I was used to. And then we had space for that. But yeah, it was a lot of, of silly workouts in the house that were just, they didn't feel the same, you know, and I wasn't in the same shape, but we tried to do a little. And I know Boston Ballet right now is doing some of their classes, their student classes online and things like that. And, and that's a whole nother level of how do you train when you don't have a studio in your own house kind of thing. Although it helped me work on my turnout because there's no gripping or forcing turnout on a wood floor. And I had just a wood floor. So I had to actually use the right muscles for my turnout. So that was good. So what's next? Um, we're all still in lockdown. You know, the arts still cannot convene. What are you and your colleagues working on right now? So right now we are, uh, I think Boston Ballet just recently um, released The Gift. We just released that, which is a small number of Duke Ellington pieces choreographed by our dancers that are up. So it's Duke Ellington's take on, on a lot of these classic Nutcracker songs you've heard. And that was recorded, I want to say a few weeks ago and is now released probably on our, our virtual season. Boston Ballet has really worked on creating a virtual season for everyone. Um, and so right now there are BB at home, uh, BB at your home is what Boston Ballet is doing basically right now. We are bringing in, attempting to really, you know, choreograph and create some work in the studio. So right now we are all sitting, we're social distanced in the studio. We're allowed in the studio, but we're all in pods, groups of 10 uh, with masks on all the, all day. And we're really desperately trying to kind of create something. Um, in the studio. And I know we have also released a, a BB at Home sequence that was uh, foresight performances from, I want to say, if you, last year, if not more than one year, that are all on our virtual season in, in the hopes of kind of creating something in this, in this time, because we're able to be in the studio, but, you know, we, with all of these extra regulations, it's really difficult to really get anything done and, you know, and really be, it doesn't feel the same. And it was really hard during the lockdown and during the pandemic, you know. So we started, uh, we got back into the studio in September 22nd, I want to say. So up until then, you know, it was really hard to look at, at dance and think about it the same way. I think it's a, one of the small silver linings to be grateful for. It, it forced us to look at art, especially art we create, differently. And for me as a dancer, it forced me to step back for the first time in a very long time. I definitely... I've never had a break that's been this long from ballet uh, again, because I haven't had an injury that's sidelined to me for eight months or any of that, you know, not so far. So this was the longest break for me. So it did recalibrate how I looked at my art and something that's a little bit sad. I would say for me, it made me look at sort of the fleeting nature of, of dance as an art form for the audience, for the participants you know, with, with live performances, once it's over, it's over. You know, once that curtain is down, it's like that perform. It's not that the performance doesn't exist anymore, but it's just that it's, it's, it's not as tangible. It, you know, it goes away. You can have a great night and, and the people that were there share that with you. And that's wonderful. But without the ability to share those performances with our audience, 
it feels a little bit like, 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 where is the art for me was more one of my things. Like, where is it? If, if we can't share it to the audience and have that mutually, this is I maybe a kind of a thought about ballet in recordings. Cause that's what we're doing now. Ballet in this sort of virtual sense where it's not a live performance and you're not really connecting with the audience. It makes it feel very fleeting to me as an artist. I think of all of the performances I've had and I try to go back in my head and, and go through them and it's, they're there, but the memories are really kind of, they're just memories, you know, it, it makes it feel, it may, it's made me feel like my dance isn't as lasting as I maybe thought it was. And that's been, as it's, and it's not the cheeriest of takes on my own career, but it is, that's sort of the sort of the feeling I've had over the last couple of months, just thinking, being so far from what I do for a living, being a, not able to be in the studio, not able to do what I want to do has made me really fear maybe how, how fleeting my, my, my dance could be and how I'll hang on to it. And I think, like you said, your first performance, you have hung on to that still. And I think there are audience members who will hang on to our performances and our work, but you feel really disconnected from them and you feel really disconnected from that and from your work. And that's, um, that's been a struggle over this pandemic and over the lockdown. I, in a way, this has actually been very cathartic for me to talk about the experience of the, the pandemic in, a, in a, just an art sense, not as like a person stuck in a room, but as a dancer that, that hasn't been able to dance. So thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. I really hope that this time next year, and I hope it doesn't take that long, but if it does, it does, they will get to, will be able to perform live again. Cause I think for, as a person, my soul as a dancer, I, I need live performances. I, we can't film everything forever. I'd be very sad if that's the nature of everything for a while. So I hope we get back to that live performance because it is special and we need it. So thank you both for having me. And thank you for listening. And again, thank you to today's guest, Patrick Palkins, for this episode of the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod. And thank you for joining us. Stay well. The Creative Exchange Podcast is a collaboration between the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod and Provincetown Community Television. Words and music of this season's theme song are by Sarah Burrell, copyright 2009. To donate to the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod's Arts Relief Fund, a project supporting Cape Cod artists and arts organizations impacted by the pandemic, visit artsfoundation.org. Don't you worry.